Uh, Father's Day gets me so fired up for so many reasons, mainly because I'm a son with an awesome dad, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what I believe is my most important message and what gets me the most excited when I think about the Lord and my walk with Him, all right? But before we do that, I want to say a couple things. First, welcome to everybody that's watching on our live stream. I'm so glad that you would join us right now. Um, here in Nueces County, chances are highly likely that we'll have a mandatory mask order put in place by our county judge. It may not happen, but as of Friday, it sounds like it will. In Port Aransas, they've already put in a mandatory mask order for businesses and employees and customers that go into businesses starting on Wednesday, just so that you know. I have a business in Port Aransas, so I'm aware of that. Um, what I want to say to you is that I don't have any problem with that. I don't personally like wearing a mask, and I wish that we didn't have to, but at the same time, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. And if that's what the county judge puts into place, then that's what we're going to do. Now, some people aren't comfortable wearing masks. Some people have respiratory challenges or anxiety challenges in wearing a mask or whatever it is. Here's what I want to say to that. We will be having masks made available here. And if you uh, wear a mask, I think that's fantastic. But if some people can't wear a mask, what I want to encourage you to do is not look down on them or think less of them or think that they're not doing their part. There are a lot of reasons why somebody may not be able to wear a mask. I have no problem with you wearing masks here. If that makes you feel more comfortable and better, I'm great with that. And if that's what they're putting in place for my businesses, I think all of my employees are already actually wearing masks in Port Aransas starting today. And, uh, but the bigger point I want to make is the church should never be divided over something like masks. The Christ Christians should never be divided over whether somebody wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask. I was encouraged by people to reach out to the county judge and tell her how we should not wear masks. And I realized that that's not a fight that I want to fight. There's bigger things that I'm going to stand for when it comes to our politicians and government leaders. I may not agree with everything that they choose to do, but what I'm really on a mission to do is reflect Christ to them and show them the love of Jesus and see them get born again. That's really what my heart is. And so if that happens... What I want to encourage you to do is wear a mask if you feel comfortable. I'm not going to police it here, but I'm going to encourage you to do so if that's what you feel best to do is. And if you don't, then we're not going to look down on you or put shame on you or make you feel bad because you didn't wear a mask, all right? Um, I would think that most people probably will be wearing masks. And if that is what happens, then that's what happens. I don't know how that will affect our summer conference because I probably won't have a summer conference if everybody's having to wear a mask. We don't know exactly how that's going to affect the church. We don't know if that order is going to go into effect for churches or not. The challenge is, is whether you do or whether you don't, somebody's not going to like it. And what I'm going to say to you is, as Christians, that's not something that we should be fighting over. It's silly to be fighting over that, all right? Uh, if, if we do, then somebody says, you, you know, it's irrelevant. And if you don't, then somebody says you're not being smart enough. So let's keep it on unity. Let's keep it on focus and not, let's not let those types of things divide the church. All right. That's all I have to say about masks. I would encourage you to continue to uh, uh, practice safe hygiene. If you shake hands, uh, wash them right away. And if you're tired of walking to the back of the church for the bathrooms, let's all keep giving to the building fund so we can move the bathrooms to the front, which is what we're going to be doing. And um, 
you know, don't, it's all right to fist bump. It's okay to not shake hands. It's okay to not hug. We know that there's been a spike in cases. At the same time, what I want to encourage you to do is um, do your best in the context of being spirit-led. And also, don't walk in fear. We can't walk in fear of getting COVID. I hope nobody gets COVID in our church. I don't want any of you to get, I don't want to get COVID, but I, I do know some people that have gotten it. And what I'm going to say to you is let's believe in the healing power of Jesus to heal us. And let's also believe in the blood of Jesus to protect us. Walking in fear will never do you any good, um, but you can make some good choices to the best of your ability. It's brutally hard for me not to hug or handshake. It's like brutally hard. Okay, uh, but I'll do the best that I can do, and it's okay if right now during this time you just kind of stay back or don't don't hug or high five or fist bump. And you know what? It's okay if you do too. Just wash your hands and do the best that you can to um, practice safe hygiene. All right. So I love you guys. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. I'm I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over every single one of you every day that God would watch over you. My business as well. Uh, some businesses have already chosen to shut down. Some are having to deal with outbreaks. I would ask you to please pray for my business. I'll pray for you and your work and your finances. And let's really pray for each other and stand together with each other. And uh, don't think twice about the fact if you feel more comfortable to wear a mask or if somebody else is. All right? There are a lot of things that I'm passionate about when it comes to God's word. There's a lot of things I'm passionate about when it comes to your faith and seeing who you become and how you live and how you love. And I believe this message is the cornerstone message of it. It's my favorite message. It's my number one message. I always preach it on Father's Day, but every year I get a little bit of new insight and understanding and revelation about it. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, God, for protecting us. Thank you for your healing power, your love, your grace, and your blood that was shed to drive back sickness and disease. Thank you so much, Lord God, for putting an end to COVID. We ask that the spikes would stop, the numbers, and that there'd be here, God, but we would trust you completely like we've done all of our lives. And I thank you, Jesus, for being with us today. Thank you for being with me as I share this awesome message from your heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I've shared my story a lot, but some of you haven't been here long enough to hear some of my stories. So I'm going to share a little bit of it. When I was one year old, my dad, my blood father, left my mom and I. My blood father currently lives in Beverly Hills, California, and I've met him one time. He got my 24-year-old Greek mother pregnant, Miami, Florida out of wedlock, right? And so my blood father at that time was riding high in his career, which he was a band manager for several very large and famous musicians around the world back then. Now we're going all the way back to the 70s here so that you know. I'll be 50 this year. And in 1970, when I was born, my dad was managing bands like Barbra Streisand and Rod Stewart and other very big name bands. He would in turn move to Beverly Hills, California, where he would start his own artist agency and become a band. Lots of jazz bands, manages Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, and is the band manager for Victor Wooten, the world's number one best bass player, who is pretty incredible. And so I did not have a relationship with my blood father, but I had a 
father that came into my life that I consider my dad a man by the name of Ed Moore. When I was five years old, my mom was working two jobs. She was cutting hair during the day and a cocktail waitress at night. And she would drop me off at the babysitter in the morning and leave me there pretty much all day because she worked two jobs. Many nights, she wouldn't come home. And for a five-year-old not to have a father in his life and have the nourishment and the value and the cherish and the love that a five-year-old so desperately needs, what it produced inside of me was this unconscious, subconscious thing of desiring to be loved and accepted by anyone and everyone around me. And I hated being at that babysitter. They were very, very poor. I specifically remember being berated by one of the uh, daughters of the lady that was babysitting me. I remember, I'll never forget the food and how bad it was and roaches in the cereal and uh, just staring out of the window night after night, longing for somebody to come and rescue me. Well, when I was five years old, my, my mom met this man who I consider my dad by the name of Ed Moore. And Ed Moore is who I still consider my dad. I, I did meet my blood father when I was uh, 28 years old in California. I was working with a pharmaceutical insurance company, and I had gotten an account in Redondo Beach. And so I flew out there and actually reached out for the first time to my biological blood father, David Bendet, and he met me at a Greek restaurant, and it was crazy how similar we were. We looked alike. Uh, we talked alike. We had the same passion for music. We were both really into jazz and Latin jazz, and we really hit it off. But after that time, he never really wanted to continue having a relationship with me. I've reached out many times. I've written him letters. I've tried to uh, in fact, in the last year, I emailed him with pictures of his grandkids and offered to go out there to California for him to meet his grandkids, Cadence and Zion, with no response. If it wasn't for the Heavenly Father coming into my life, I would still be living like an orphan, abandoned, angry, bitter, and unforgiving. I would still be living a life of self-preservation to protect myself and doing all I can to worry about what you think or make you happy. And what I want to say to everybody here this morning and those that are watching by the live feed is that all of us are in need of a father every single day. It doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, 60, 26. It doesn't matter what your age is. All of us need the love of a father in our life every single day. We need affirmation. We need nourishment. We need comfort. And we need encouragement. Now, when Jesus is dwelling inside of you and you become adopted as a son or a daughter, you literally have the Father's heart inside of you. So not only do you first need the Father's love and nothing can replace that, but then God raises up earthly fathers here on earth to be accurate representations of his heart, such as what Ed Moore was to me. When I was five years old and abandoned did not have a dad, Ed Moore came into my life and basically raised me and showed me what it meant to be a son. Now, we didn't pray together. He didn't point me to the things of God. We didn't read the Bible together. I wasn't, in a sense, raised in a Christian home. But he embodied the heart of the Father by rescuing me when I was five years old and becoming my dad. Now, we need fathers that do the same thing for orphan children and sons and daughters that don't have dads all over the world. I am convinced that the number one issue plaguing our society today is fatherlessness, hands down. The racial divide, fatherlessness. 
all of the hurts and pains and brokenness, every crisis that the world is facing, I believe the core root of it is fatherlessness. But that shouldn't be in the church. In the church, we need true mothers and fathers that love well, lead well, direct well, guide well, and affirm the father's heart to the people that are around them. Last night, I was in a tribe of Judah meeting. I'm the chapter president of a local motorcycle ministry to outlaw bikers called the tribe of Judah. And that meeting's once a month, and it was last night. When I was in that meeting, there was a six-foot-five man there that came in to visit. He's a friend of somebody else that was there. And we opened up a time of discussion, and he said, you know, I'm so angry at my nation. I'm so angry by what's happening in the world around me. And it's causing me to lose faith, not just in my nation, but lose faith in God. And I'm just absolutely angry, and I have no idea what God's saying to me and what God's doing in my life because I'm so mad. And so I looked at him and I said, listen, I said, you've got your eyes off Jesus because the minute that you start to get your eyes on the world system and the world's crisis and take ownership of that crisis, it gets inside of you. And next thing you know, you're drawn into something that's not the father's heart or you'll fight in a way that's not the father's heart. And what I want more than anything is for people to be filled with the spirit to truly know who they are in their identity because when you're filled with the spirit and you know who you are, you'll see everybody the way that the father sees them. And so the way that I used to see people was worried about what you think about me, worried if you're going to stay. What that abandonment from my blood father did was it produced this thing inside of me to measure up, not be abandoned, not be neglected, and to please people around me. It was really a spirit of neglect and abandonment that was put inside of me. And in turn, I lived like an orphan. Make sure that people like them. They feel like they have to fight for themselves. And they feel like with God, he may or he may not. He may be there. He may not be there. Instead of seeing him as a really good and awesome dad. For me, when I got rescued, what I learned and what I saw was that he's good all the time and he loves me all the time. And especially when I had children, I really began to understand the character and nature of the father even better. If you've ever had children and you love your children to no end, you have to realize God loves you more. Yeah. And if my son, when my son or my daughter is sick or they have a hurt or they have a pain or something's going on in their life, the last thing I want them to do is to feel shame because of that. The father feels even more about you, even better about you. He always re rescues. He always protects. He always pulls you out. He always reminds you who you are. And every single day, we have to be reminded by a loving father of how much he cares about you. Every day, all the time, I have to be reminded who I am. There's never a time that I don't have to be reminded of how much the father loves and cares about me. Even Jesus when he first started his ministry, before he had done any miracles or anything, he got baptized and he heard as he came out of the water, the heavenly father, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And some of you have never heard, you're my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And you're defining yourself based on your failures and your mistakes and whether you drank or whether you looked at porn or whether you lied or cheated or stealed. God doesn't define you on those things. He defines you by who you are as a son or a daughter. 
And when you start to see yourself that, it doesn't make mean that those other things are okay. But I'm constantly having to pull people out of shame. I'm const- constantly having to remind people who they are. But the only way that you can remind somebody of who they are is if you see them the way that God sees them. See, so many people, especially with me, like I'm the pastor, right? I see it on people's face all the time. They subtly keep me at a distance. I'm under the microscope or they're wondering what I think about you. I had to ask the Lord a long time ago to turn off the prophetic button that caused me to see all your issues and read your mail all the time. Can I see, read your issues and see your mail? You better believe it. But I asked the Lord a long time. I said, Lord, it's making me angry because I'm seeing all these issues and all these problems and all these mistakes and failures. And most people aren't doing what I think they should do. And I just want to rip their head off. And so I said, God, help me to see everybody the way that you see them. First, I had to see myself the way that he sees me, because if I don't see myself as a son who's loved and accepted with an awesome, caring, loving father, even when I'm being disciplined and it doesn't feel good, because I understand that I'm a son and he's going to discipline me, if I don't have a right perspective of who he is and keep my eyes on him, I'm never going to see you or your situation in the proper light. And that's why we have all this division. That's why we have racial divides. That's why we're divided over all kinds of doctrinal issues. And we're divided over all kinds of uh, movements that Jesus would probably never be a part of. We're on a greater mission. If I want to solve the racial divide in our nation, the best thing that I can do is put the spirit of God inside somebody and show them who they are as a son and daughter and to see other people the same way. It's a spiritual issue. And I'm on a mission to solve it. The world's always been in crisis. You're just seeing a greater revealing of a world in crisis. It's always been there. It's not like, oh, suddenly it happened. And then some would say, well, this this was 50 years ago, slavery or uh, the civil rights movement and all these other things that were going on so long ago. Let me tell you something. If Jesus doesn't transform the heart of a person, the issue doesn't just go away. God is out to transform nations, every nation of the world. God's not an American, God's not an Egyptian, God's not, God is every nation, tribe, and tongue. So the the passion that I have is to see people born again and to see the Spirit of God put inside of them and to get you to see and understand who you are as a son or a daughter in a family. Because we understand no matter the color of our skin, no matter how much money we make, no matter the clothes you wear, because we'll find all kinds of things to keep us divided or keep us in shame. If you, if you don't make a lot of money and you live in poverty and you haven't been able to go buy clothes for a long time and you're having to live on food stamps, you can allow yourself to fall into shame or comparison when you get next to somebody that doesn't live like that, which should never be. Because it doesn't bother me one, but I love you right where you're at. And I believe God's going to build a story right where you're at. And we find all these things. We're underweight, we're overweight. My hair, my clothes, my weight, my color, my money, my not. You'll find all kinds of things to get divided on, Right? And these are very real issues that are in the world today. The world is in crisis. And that crisis manifests in a lot of different ways. We're just happening to see a major racial divide. And now all the things that have been hidden in the hearts of people on either side are now coming to light. And now they're fighting. Should that be happening in the church? But it can if you're not careful. And you want to know the answer to it? Only do what Jesus does. Only do what you see the Father doing. And now I'm going to switch into something that most people will choose not to live in, but I pray you do. 
and that's living spiritually aggressive all the days of your life, it's okay to be more spiritual, and it's okay to only do what Jesus does and what you see the Father do. In fact, that's the ultimate sign of maturity. The greatest sign of maturity isn't whether you sinned or not. The greatest sign of maturity isn't even how much you love. The greatest sign of maturity is being spirit-led at all times. Because if you're spirit-led, what's the first fruit of the spirit? Love. Ta-da! That's right. So you need the Holy Spirit to confirm to you who you are every day and show you that your identity is not in your work. Your identity is not in your money. Your identity is not in your weight. Your identity is not in your hair. Your identity is not in your skin color. Your identity is in who you are in Christ. Right? Right? But only the Holy Spirit can show that to you. So today I'm going to challenge you to be spirit-led sons and daughters. That's the title of my message. Spirit-led sons and daughters too. Right? And we're going to resolve the fatherlessness issue. So thank God that I had a dad. Here's my sister. We didn't grow up together and we don't even look alike at all. And we weren't raised together. But the dad that adopted me, or he, he didn't actually physically adopt me with paper, but he adopted me by the spirit. So the message that I'm going to teach you today is very real to me because I was abandoned. And then I had a stepfather come into my life who I consider my dad. Did he make mistakes? Yes. Do I wish he would have taught me more about Jesus and prayed with me? Yes. But did he embody the heart of the father? Because he rescued me when I was five years old. And now I understood that when I was raised by a mom and abandoned and neglected, I had a dad coming to life who told me all the time he loved me, who cared for me, who disciplined me, who, who challenged me to be a better person who challenged me to be responsible and embodied the nature of the spirit of adoption. So when I finally got it from the Lord, I connected the dots. And today I want to connect some dots for you. All right. And so when I came to the heavenly father, I didn't come to him because I, I realized I was such a sinner. I came to him because I knew I needed a dad. And I want to make sure everybody understands here. You need a father. And I'm not talking about just a heavenly father. I mean, an earthly father. I'm talking about a heavenly father. Because what happens when your earthly dad's not there? Or what happens when the pastor's not there? Or what happens when somebody else isn't there to affirm you and comfort you? You need to hear, son, I love you. Daughter, you're my chosen one. Because when the Lord adopts you, to be adopted, if you actually research the word adopted, you know what it means? I choose you. So what happened when you blew it up and sinned and failed? Did he unchoose you? Why are you living like that? You're going to get it. Stick around. I'll preach this all the days of my life. We're not rested. We're anxious. We're angry at the world. We're constantly got our eyes on the news feeds. We're not sitting at the feet of Jesus and looking at Jesus and spending time in his word to hear what he has to say about it. But you will get it if you don't give up and listen to what I'm telling you. You can stay rested and at peace even when the world's in crisis and you can get God's heartbeat and be like the sons of Issachar in First Corinthians or First Chronicles 12 who understood the times and the seasons and that was the tribe, the sons of Issachar, that was able to lead Israel in every direction that they went because they knew what God was saying. Wouldn't you like to hear what God's really saying in the midst of all this instead of a bunch of opinions? I would, Okay. So what I'm going to talk with you about today is really what it means to be spirit-led, but also what it means to be a true son and a daughter, because they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So let's start with Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live by the flesh, you're going to die. 
It's as black and white as can be. Romans 8, 13. When you live by the flesh, you will die. But when you live by the spirit, you're going to live. Let's everybody say this together. By the spirit. spirit. Nothing can happen unless by the spirit. Nothing. Now, most people don't understand that statement, but I'm going to teach it to you. And when you get born again, you get the spirit of God living inside of you to lead you and guide you and direct you. So it's very simple. Live according to the flesh, die. Live according to the spirit, live. I'm going to say this with confidence. There's only, there's one of two ways to live. You're either living by the flesh or you're living by the spirit. There's no middle ground. You're either living by the flesh or by the spirit. One kills you. And how does it kill you? Shame, inadequacy, failure, lack of passion, lack of joy, lack of worship. There's all kinds of stuff going on in my life. Responsibilities, struggles, challenges, problems, machines breaking, kids, family, life, money. It's, it's, if I start to meditate on those things, it's overwhelming. But when it's time to worship, whoo, I'm spending 45 minutes in God's presence and I'm not worried about those things because I'm giving it to the Lord because I'm a son. My greatest thing I can teach you more than anything is what it means to be a son, not an orphan. And so many of us are living like orphans instead of sons and daughters. I'm going to teach that to you. So there's one or two ways to live. I highly suggest that you live by the Spirit. Only by the Spirit can you live. The greatest form of Christian maturity is to be Spirit-led at all times. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean uniformity because you being spirit-led may not look exactly like me being spirit-led, okay? So, for example, I have, uh, I have somewhat been influential to organize a group of over 30 pastors in the city in the Corpus Christi Pastors Council. We just met with about 30 pastors. I, I'll be posting the picture this week. Other pastors, have, I've, I've really built friendships with a lot of pastors in town. Like, it's real friendship. We're texting before church. saying, get fired up. We're praying for you today. Now pastors are starting to pray for each other, talk to each other. I mean, it's pretty awesome, right? But if you try to uniform that thing, it's never going to work. Okay? We have to to trust that people be spirit-led. How do you trust that? Here's how I measure it. Is it illegal, unethical, unbiblical, or immoral? If it's not those things, it's probably okay. So I had people reach out to me and say, well, we should organize all the pastors and go downtown and do a rally for the, for the police force. Or we should go down and do a rally around the flag and we should all, we need to show unity that way. And we might wind up doing something. Like, we're talking about doing a citywide unity event somewhere somehow. We've, that's come up. But my point is, is that if God tells you to do it, but doesn't tell me to do it, does that mean either of us are not being spirit led? No. What I want you to do is I want you to be spirit-led and only do what Jesus tells you to do in everything that you do, how you post online, what you say, the conversations you have, the choices and decisions you make, and that's only going to come by the Spirit. It's only going to come by the Spirit. So let's take it a little bit deeper. Verse 14, the true sons of God are led by the Spirit. So what's the identifying factor of a son or daughter? Being spirit-led. So we become identifiers to the world around us when what? When you're spirit-led. Now, it takes the spirit to discern if something's of the spirit or not. 
That's why the Bible says that the spiritual compares all things that are spiritual. But if you are in the spirit and have the Holy Spirit and have eyes to see by the Holy Spirit, you're going to recognize when something is or isn't of the spirit. It's called this one little gift of the spirit. It's called discernment. Okay. And we need discernment to know when somebody is or isn't. Now, most people, the sad reality in the church today is most people don't read their Bibles. Now, if you don't read their, your Bible, I love you. I'm here to challenge you and encourage you, not shame you or beat you up. We need help. A lot of people don't even know how to read the Bible. They don't know where to begin. They, they literally do not even know what they're reading or how to read it or how to understand it. That's why we need mothers and fathers in the church to truly disciple. We don't need more instructors. We need more fathers. Instructors give you what they know. Fathers give you who they are. And that's what I want to do. So when I tell you my story, I'm only telling it to give you who I am. I was abandoned. I was neglected. My blood father left me. I, one, I remember when I was 16, I couldn't understand how my blood father could have left me. And it bothered me and it made me angry on the inside. But when I found the heavenly father, I recognized and realized I had an inheritance that came from him even when my blood father wasn't there, right? And so when we have fathers that are raised up in the church, we become the answer to teach people to learn to discern what God is saying and doing, just like my five and seven-year-old. My five and seven-year-old, they believe, they, we pray together, but they don't really know God right? So who becomes the Lord to them? Ta-da! How I discipline, how I nourish, how I correct, how I direct, how I teach them. It's the same thing in the church. Most people don't really know the Father's heart. They don't really know him. That's why I'm talking right now, and that's why you're here, okay? But for the most part, unsolicited advice is unheeded advice. If somebody doesn't ask, they don't really want to know but I'm assuming you guys want to know or you wouldn't be here today, right? But lives, I've said this many times, lives are changed in a conversation, in a dialogue, in di discipleship. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, make disciples by teaching them what I've taught you, right? And so we need people that are being taught directly from the Lord so that what you say is not haphazard, second-guessing, or of the flesh. Because if you're not in the Spirit, you're only in the flesh, all right. Now, the subtle deception of this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me tell you what is, what is the most deceptive thing on, my, on the earth. You ready? Yes. Trying to be good. Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When people are evil, for the most part, you know you're bad. For the most part, when people are doing evil, they know they're bad. But here's the greater deception. When you think you're good, and you're doing the right good thing, but you're not. When you think you're being upright and religious, but you're not being spiritual and righteous. Being good is one of the most deceptive things in the church today is trying to be a good person. You know why? Because it constantly puts shame on you when you're not. Because you'll never be good enough. So when they said to Jesus, uh, good, what did they say? Like, good rabbi or something like that. He said, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but the Father. Now, does God want you to do good? Of course. But the deceptive lie of religion is that you got to be a better person. Jesus didn't come to make America great again. 
No, I'm serious. And I'm not knocking the president's slogan. I'm just making a point. Jesus didn't come to make a better world to live in. He came to flip the world upside down and transform it and put his spirit inside of it so that his love and power can be recognized on earth as it is in heaven. I said it all the time. The American dream is not God's dream. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's authentic because it's who we are. We're sons and daughters. It's not, we're not trying to measure up. We're not trying to perform. We're just being. I'm giving you a message of just who I am. I'm at total peace in a world of chaos. So should you be. It doesn't change when the world's blowing up. In fact, instead of being mad and angry and dwelling on the news all day long and being ticked off and angry at it and trying to jump on a bandwagon of a movement, instead what you do is you preach the gospel and you bring the love and power of Jesus and you don't mince your words about it. You need Jesus and the spirit of God inside of you and then you'll understand. This would get you so fired up. We are an answer to a broken world. We're the answer to a broken world. Be very careful. The enemy's very subtle. He'll try to draw you into something and pitch you against each other because even the church is divided on so many of the hot topics today. And the next thing you know, I hate you and I don't like you and I don't like that church and that pastor and this and that. And next thing you know, now the pastors are fighting and the churches are fighting and nothing has changed. I'm on a mission to change it. Mark, you watch. For such a time as this, I know I was created. It's been prophesied over me. This is, I am excited. I'm sad to see what's happening. It saddens me and it hurts me and it burdens me to see what the world's going through. But I've always known this is there. I'm not caught off guard or surprised and neither is God. In fact, in Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? Especially against the anointed one and his people. I can assure you at the end of the day, it's a demonic ploy to split and divide the kingdom of God on earth. I guarantee you. And the greater the crisis in the world, because God even says, I'll hold the world, the nations in derision. And I'm even laughing. What does that mean? It means I'm not at all caught off guard and I have a solution to every crisis in the world. And this doesn't mean we don't stand for the voiceless. It doesn't mean we don't stand against racism. It doesn't mean we don't stand for those that have been oppressed and abused and beat down, especially for the ones that don't know Jesus. That's what Jesus did. You know how he did it? On the cross. He gave his life on the cross because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Here's the problem when you're in the flesh and you see things without the spirit. It has no end. There's never, there's never going to be justice. It's never enough. And then eventually hatred will take root inside of your heart and you'll wish that they were dead instead of wishing that they would be saved. Oh, I could get, I could offend a lot of people. If I started to, to really get a lot of gay couples to come into this church and sit right next to some people, somebody to come, you allow, you allow homosexuals to come to this church? You bet, because I want them to get born again. And I don't mince my words about it. We're not, and I don't talk, and I'm not uh, sloppy grace on sin. Sin will kill you. It's just right there's the script. If you live by the flesh, you're going to die. The answer to homosexuality is the Holy Spirit. The answer to racism is the Holy Spirit because you see each other the way God sees you. 
So now I say, God, help me to see people the way you see them. See, I see my sister the way God sees her. I'm not living in a world of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and religious weirdness with her. I love her, period. And I care about her. And I would do anything for her. Regardless if she knows the Lord or not or what she's doing or not doing. I care about her. I care about you and you and you and you and you and you because I see you the way that the Father sees you. And I understand that when the world is in crisis, what did Jesus do? Condemn it or die for it? Then why are you condemning the world? You'll get it. I love you all so much. I hate what's happening. Do I love my country? Yes. Do I wish it wasn't happening? You bet. Is there a better way? Are we an answer? Yes. Yes. The problem is, is we don't have enough people that are being spirit-led and only saying what the Father's saying. So let's fix the problem. You know how you fix the problem? By becoming a son. There's no other way. I'm gonna, I cannot say this more clearer. There's no other way to fix a world in crisis than be, to become a son or a daughter. Okay? I'm going to show you. Let's go back to verse 14. When you're led by the Spirit of God, you are an identifier to the world around you of who you are. We don't need more nice Christians. We don't need more churchgoers. We need people that really know the Father and know who they are in their identity and stop living in shame and guilt and all these other things. So many led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the Spirit of God does a couple things. One, it reminds us who we are. And number two, it tells the world who you are. All right, next verse. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Go back one to that last verse. You know what it means to be led? You're going to really like this. To be led means to attach to and be accompanied by at all times. It means that, I, that you are moved and impelled in your mental capacity, okay? So when you get born again, you get born again in your spirit. You become one with the Lord in your spirit. But it's your soul realm that you need the Holy Spirit to speak to you and remind you and deal with your thoughts. You ever met an angry Christian? You ever met a porn-addicted Christian? You ever met a, viol- a abusing Christian, a cheating Christian, a lying Christian? Why? Because it's in their soul realm. So what does God give you? He gives you the Holy Spirit to lead you. To be led means that I'm accompanied by at all times. I'm with him. And it means that he deals with my thoughts. The word I use is bridled at all times. We can get there. We can live this way. God wants us to be led at all times. And the only way to deal with anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, lies, disbelief, and accusation is with your helper, the Holy Spirit. Because remember that the enemy accuses you day and night. Revelations 12.10. What does it mean to be accused? We were just talking about this. If I accuse you of something, what am I saying? You're guilty. Okay, what else? You're condemned. What else? I don't trust you. What else? 
the innate understanding of accusation is something's wrong with you. You're never going to get it. You're an idiot. And you're broken. And you know what that always leads to? God's not good. Because the devil always wants to put a question mark where God has put a period. God made a statement. He says, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. He says, I've adopted you. Everybody that receives and believes, he gives the right to become sons. You know what it means to get a right? That's an adoption, by the way. A right means that you have full access to every benefit that he provides. It means that everything he gave to Jesus, he's given to you. When we're going to look at that here in a second, it means a joint heir. It means that now everything that Jesus had and did, I can have and do. That's a pretty incredible thought. So we need to be led, especially in our mind and our heart. Verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Okay, so two spirits. One spirit rescues you, adopts you, gives you a right, and gives you all the access to the benefits and inheritance because of who you are. The other one, the other spirit that you're living in, if you don't have that spirit, is a bondage to fear. Anybody that does not have the spirit inside of their lives has the spirit of bondage to fear. They may not know it. They may not see it. They may not recognize it, but it inevitably manifests itself in all kinds of ways. How you work, how you save your money, how you tuck money away, all kinds of things that we do. All kinds of ways that we live. Like COVID, for example. I don't want to get COVID. I'm not walking fear of it, but I don't want to get it. But if I did get it, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to ask you to pray. I pray I don't. I pray none of y'all do. But if you did, there's not shame. Instead, there's the blood of Jesus, and there's a family to fight for you and pray. And we're going to walk confidently, not in the bondage of fear. In fact, there's all kinds of bondages of fear. Fear is a bondage. Worry, doubt, anger, anxiety, drugs, alcohol, self-preservation, all that is rooted in fear. Because when perfect love comes into your life, who is God, what happens? It drives out fear or casts out fear. Driving out and casting out is literally like casting out a demon. If you study that word, it's violent, aggressive to get it out of your life. So what do you need? You need God's perfect love because fear leads to torment. So this guy last night is being tormented. It's an orphan spirit. It's a lack of knowing who you are in Christ and trusting the headship and lordship of Jesus in every situation. It doesn't mean we don't cry, we don't weep, we don't mourn. We have to mourn with those that are mourning. We weep for those that are weeping. We hate the things that are happening in the world, so we do something about it. Instead of complaining, we bring the love of Christ into it and we transform people's lives, right? We become unifiers, not dividers. And God's always, always brings unity and diversity. That's how he designed it. Look at body parts. Hands and feet and ears and eyes and noses are all different. But yet we need each other, right? And so you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So if you have any fear in your life right now, I'm going to say lovingly it's bondage. Your response should be, I don't want it. It's a miserable experience. After we lost Eden for a whole year, I was afraid that one of my other children were going to die. I had never, ever experienced that before. And recently, I got hit with some fear. 
You know, there's all kinds of stuff that's been happening. Amber struggled with some breathing, and we're trying to get answers with that. And there's the stuff happening in the world around us. And then I, I got caught up into the news feeds of what's happening with COVID and my businesses and my shops, and I almost lost my business. All kinds of stuff could come in and bring fear into my life. But I'm not designed to live in the bondage of fear. I'm designed to live as a son because I've received a spirit. That spirit brings adoption. And what does that mean? It means I'm not an orphan. It means I'm not alone. If you've ever had a f- child, if you're a parent, and you love your child to no end, God loves you more. Yes. And the love you have for your child, if you said, I would, do any- I would die for my child. Well, Jesus died for you. Yeah. And he, gave, he did actually die for you. Yeah. Right? And so I'm, what I'm trying to impart and teach to you is total confident, rest, trust, and identity in who you are as a son. You need a dad, especially if you're living like an orphan. You need the spirit of adoption in your life. What you should see in me is a spirit of adoption, especially with my broken past. And I'm thankful to Ed Moore, who taught me that by rescuing me when I was five years old. But he was even inadequate compared to what the father could provide, right? So... You receive the spirit of adoption so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? It literally means that he gives you access to everything he possesses, and he puts his name on you. He gives you his name. So if I went to Dion and Luis's house, and I was a son, I would just open the door, walk in, open their fridge, eat some really good beans, (laughs) which I haven't had for a while. Hint, hint. And I wouldn't think twice about it. But if you're not a son, you knock, you, be, you ask. But when you are a son, you have access. Oh, yeah. 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 See, Rachel is my sister. Some of you are like, I didn't even know you had a sister. Well, here she is. <laughs> she doesn't have to ask if she needs to, something from my fridge or, or something. At our, everything we have, she has access to because she's family. Now, if the kids are at my in-laws and it's just Amber and I, she better knock before she comes over. That's all I got to say. Well, we might be cooking dinner or something. Oh, I could really go down a trail with that one. Let me just tell you right now. Okay. So, So you can cry out, Abba. The word Abba literally means that you have now come into a family that you come into a family, okay? And God, I, I shared the scripture today on my Facebook. He's a father to the fatherless, and he rescues the widows, and he sets the lonely and the isolated into families. On, yeah. You want to know the answer to a world in crisis? It's family and the father's love, which brings unity because we now really see ourselves as brothers and sisters. But you're never going to get this till you get the main thing. And that's who you are, right? So let's go back to the scripture. We cry out, Abba, Father. Here's a, I want to say this to you also. I cry out in a different way now. My cry out isn't a flip of a coin or a hopeless shotgun prayer. Think about if you have a child. Now the cry out is knowing he's going to hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Now the cry out is, a, is 
a surety that the, my dad is going to be there for me. It's not a cry out in the sense of maybe. It's a cry out with a confidence. And if it doesn't happen the way I think he should, guess what? I'll boast in my infirmities. In fact, we were talking about this too. Paul said, when he's talking about the thorn in his flesh, he said, rather than boast in my incredible revelations and all that God's done, instead, I'm going to boast in my infirmity. In fact, Paul said in Galatians, he said, when I first ever preached the gospel, I preached about my infirmities. You know, if you, many of you may not have heard Amber speak before, but one of the things that makes my wife a really incredible speaker is her transparency and how real and raw and honest she is because she doesn't really care what anybody thinks, and we love that about her. And she just, she's unfiltered. She's raw and she's real, but she often talks about her weakness. And then people go, oh my gosh, you mean the pastor's wife is dealing with that and going through that? I love her honesty and her realness and her rawness. And now the gospel is revealed in the midst. When I boast in weakness, I'm not boasting about asthma. I'm boasting about the goodness of God in the midst of asthma. You see it? I've had some very real breathing challenges. I'm on high-powered medications uh, against allergic asthma. You hear me coughing and hacking and loogies and w- there's wheezing and, it, and all those things could really get me down. But you know what? It doesn't affect my voice, my passion, my love, my belief in the blood and the stripes that Jesus took and the healing power. And I don't even care if I got to wear a mask. I'm going to preach the gospel right through that mask. I'll tell you what. Whatever it takes, whatever I got to do, I will boast in the midst of my infirmities. Because it connects us. Because all of us have struggles and challenges and battles, right? We don't need pretentious preachers. We need real fathers. Write that down. That was a really good line right there. (laughs) Post that one on Facebook, will you? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so a few points and we're going to pray together. God takes away the bondage of fear and gives you a new identity. But you got to realize you need a new identity and recognize if you've been eating from the wrong tree. When you eat from the tree of life, which is Jesus, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15. When you eat from the tree of life and you get your daily bread, you're always reminded who you are and who he is. And then the Holy Spirit's always speaking to your mind to bring comfort and strength in the midst of storms because storms are going to happen. But if you're eating from the wrong tree, you're constantly up, down, in, out. And I like to use the analogy of the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. Because, and here's a good identifier. If you blew it, bombed it, and failed it, and you're living in shame, or you're questioning or doubting God's love for you, it's like up, down, mountaintop, valley all the time. But I've learned that God always loves me no matter what, and I'm a son. He may discipline me, but if he's disciplining me, he's doing it for my good because he loves me, and he's a good father. I'm not an illegitimate son. But I always know that God's love never fails because he made a promise he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know God's word, and I stand on God's word. Some of you are like, I don't hear God's voice. God doesn't talk to me. Well, do you read your Bible? Because God always breathes on top of his word. About 10 out of 10 times, every concept, everything I teach, every counsel I give is always backed up with scripture, with God's word. Now you need some help. You need some discipleship. You need fathers. That's why we have a men's group. And we're actually talking about having a Bible study 
that teaches people how to read the Bible. We've, we've got some, some things in the works for this fall that actually teaches you how to read the Bible. Okay, but if you would just get into a relationship with somebody, meet them for coffee and say, let's crack open the word instead of just talk about how pretty of a day it is, I think that you'll find yourself now in greater relationship and learning God's word together. See, I learned word, thank God for going to prison. I was in prison. I had to work a job. They were building a new school and they needed tutors. So I said, well, I'd like to tutor people because you know, roughly 40% of the prison population is illiterate. And so I went to school to become a master tutor while in prison. And then I would teach people how to read during the day. And then they would say to me, would you teach me how to read the Bible at night? I said, well, I don't really know how to read the Bible, but we can learn together. And so I started reading the Bible to them at night. And then they would ask me questions that I didn't have answers to. Then I found some fathers. There's some on fire Christians in prison. So I'd go and sit with some, some fathers and they would disciple me. And they'd teach me and I'd read books. I mean, shoot, it was really a year of Bible school is what it is. Because like, oh, you went to prison? I said, yeah, thank God. Amen. It was a year of Bible school for me. Let me just tell you right now. I got filled with the spirit. I changed my ways. I mean, God knew what I needed, Amen. right? That's why if you're, one of your sons or daughters like, oh, pray they don't go to prison. I'm like, no, I might pray that they will go to prison. Because they might find Oscar <laughs> preaching at the juvenile detention center and get the gospel from him. Right? All right. The spirit, I really wanted to show you this, okay? This, look at this verse right here. 16. Verse 16. I want to talk to you about these two words, bears witness. You got to get an understanding of what I'm about to show you in the context of bearing witness, okay? To bear witness literally means that the spirit joins together with your spirit. Notice it says it bears witness with what? Your spirit, right? It bears witness with your spirit that you are who? So you're always being reminded of who you are. Get around me at any time. People are in shame. like, man, pastor, I did this. I did this. I said, okay, but that's not who you are. You're not identified by that. Okay? So to bear witness means that the Spirit joins together with us to build your story, to testify to you and with you, and to remind you. But here's another really neat meaning of bears witness. It means to corroborate by evidence. Corroborate by evidence. And that simply means this, every day the Lord is constantly proving himself to you. He's bearing witness. Yeah, 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 yeah. He proves, it's a, also a legal term, that literally proves to you who he is and who he isn't. It can be through the miraculous, through signs and wonders, through breakthroughs, through his creation. But every day the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit, first and foremost, who you are. Then, of course, who he is. All the time, every day. He doesn't give up on you. He's never failed you. He's never forsaken you. And you've been through a ton of valleys in your life. Tons of hardships in your life. But here you are, looking beautiful, fired up, loving Jesus the way that you always have, RC. And I'm proud of you for that. I'm proud of you. You never gave up. You never gave up. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness of who I am. I'm a child of God. And then finally, in verse 17, if you're a child, then what are you? You're an heir. 
This word heir means that you receive your allotted possession by the right you have as a son or a daughter. It means everything that the Lord gave to Jesus, he gave to you. It means that you have an inheritance. So whether my blood father, who's a multimillionaire, gives me a dollar or doesn't, it doesn't matter. I have a much better inheritance. Okay, now it would be nice if I got something, but if I didn't, it doesn't change anything, right? Because of who I am. In fact, your inheritance doesn't come from anything in this world or any other person. It only comes from him. So whether I like you or not doesn't matter. Whether I give you something or not doesn't matter. What matters is who you are. And when you're secure in who you are, you can never be, a move, never be moved or shaken. And you have to teach children that. Okay? So if you're walking down the street, you're a black person with your kids walking down the street, and a white person cuts the other way because they don't want to walk by you, which I've heard a lot of those stories. When your children are secure in who they are in Christ, and you are secure in Christ, regardless of what they do, it doesn't change who you are. Right? And it doesn't make you less than. And it doesn't put shame on you. In fact, those people need Jesus. And what it should do, cause you to preach the gospel and be more confident to put the Spirit of God inside that person. Amen? Woo! Getting fired up. All right, so you're a joint heir, but there's a condition. There's a condition. Here's the condition. There's a really big word right there a two-letter word that says if, okay? Most people don't have a doctrine of suffering. Most people don't want to go through anything hard. I mean, nobody does. But when you get a right narrative of what suffering produces inside of you, when you get a right narrative that Jesus suffered, and when you understand you're never called to suffer alone, notice it says, next verse, or next screen. Oh, yeah, no, right there, you got it. If we suffer with him, He doesn't ever want you to go through it alone. He wants, he'll walk it out together with you. We'll experience the same sufferings as Jesus. Mark my words. If you're going to live holy and upright, you will be persecuted, hated, mocked. I mean, the world's going to basically damn you if you do or damn you if you don't. Right? Like the, the narratives by so many people with um, what's going on with the racial divide is that if I don't say anything, then that shows where I'm at. That's not true. Right? The problem is I'm just not saying it the way they want me to say it on my social media account, which I had something to say. But my point I'm trying to say is this, is that when you are a child of God, you're going to suffer. People are going to persecute you. They're going to say something about you. You didn't do it right. You didn't do it enough. Why didn't you do it the way I thought? Here's your answer. Your answer is to be spirit-led at all times. And some would say, well, that's not enough. How can not... How can being spirit-led not be enough? It can't. I mean, it is. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, being spirit-led is the ultimate sign of maturity because it reminds you who you are as a son. I'm a son. You're a daughter. Daughter, 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 daughter. And so we don't act like orphans anymore. And when we cry out, God hears us because he's a good dad. He's a really good dad. He's the best dad I could have ever had. And in my darkest hours and most difficult nights, guess who was there? I feel his love more than I've ever felt it before. And I'm very excited for what's happening in the history right now. You know why? Let's say this together. I am, I am 
the light of the world. So let's shine our light bright and stop putting it under a bushel. If you're going to be passionate and aggressive, what are you going to be passionate and aggressive about? Amen. That's right. That's right. Only. Because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. We're the answer to a world in crisis. All of us together as a family with brethren all over the world, every nation, tribe, and, co- and tongue, every color of anybody's skin, no matter where they come from. We're brothers and sisters in Christ because of the Holy Spirit and what he's put inside of us. And everybody only came from two people anyway. Right? It's unity and diversity. But you're never going to have it until you know who you are. And it's the greatest thing I can teach you on Father's Day is he's an awesome dad, and you really need one. Yeah. Make that your greatest desire is to know the Father's love and the Father's heart. It'll fire you up. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to know how much their dad loves them, and I tell them all the time. I cherish them. I nourish them. I hug them. I kiss them. Even when they don't want it, I force them down and kiss them all over the cheeks. <laughs> and some of you didn't have that. I didn't have that. But you know what? I got it when I got him. So close your eyes for a moment. When you suffer with him, you'll be glorified together with him. Hardship and suffering leads to being glorified together with the Lord. God, I pray for every person here that doesn't know you or doesn't know who they are as sons and daughters. I pray, Lord, on Father's Day we would have an awakening to know that you're the best dad and that we wouldn't live abandoned, neglected, orphaned in self-preservation, but we live as sons by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon every person in this room right now. Touch them with your power. Burn them with your fire. Cause them to experience you. Lord, we're in such desperate need for your love, Father. And I pray, God, that everybody here would come out of the spirit of bondage and come into the spirit of adoption. Let's just pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, be the dad I never had. Help me to know how you feel about me, what you think about me, how much you love me, how you're for me and not against me. By your spirit, remind me that I'm a son or a daughter. I want to see you, Lord. I want to be led by you. I want to know your heart for the times that I'm living in. I want to be an answer to a world in crisis. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on the cross, shedding your blood so that I can live in confidence instead of fear. Break the bondage of fear out of my life. Any fear in my life, Lord, I don't want it. And forgive me if I've had my eyes on anything but you. I want to live the way you called me to live. I want to experience your love.
Lord, I pray for everybody here that they would truly have their eyes on you and only do and say what you do. Help us, God, to be more aggressive, to be more violent to preach the gospel and bring hope to a hurting and broken world. Thank you for your spirit that always bears witness with us and gives witness to the world around us of who we are. Thank you, Lord, for a family. Thank you, God, for a tribe and tribes all over the world that are part of your family. Thank you, Lord, that for such a time as this, we're breathing and living and alive to become answers of hope to this world around us. Heal our nation, heal our city, heal the nations of the world by your spirit, God. Lord, drive back the deceptive lies of hurt and hate and division and bring your spirit to bring healing, comfort, and life and unity. And I thank you, Lord God, that Corpus Christi, Texas is on the map. It's on your radar. And as it goes with the body of Christ, Texas, so it goes with the body of Christ in the world. Bring unity, bring oneness, and let our light shine so bright for all the world to see. Thank you, Lord God, that you rescued us as sons and daughters and we're part of a family. And we say to you, Lord, happy Father's Day. You're an awesome daddy. You're the best dad we could have ever asked for. And thank you that we're joint heirs with your son, Jesus, and that you put an inheritance and a deposit into our lives. And I pray everybody here would live fired up and passionate and full of the spirit all the days of their life, and that we'd only do what you do and what you say. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. All right, guys. I love you, and we'll see you guys on Wednesday night.